0: Welcome to Just Around the Corner. I'm your host, Dennis Mansfield. Life can sometimes be really hard. You know what I'm talking about. And yet many of us, the life's battles that we encounter really needn't be there. Why? Because in some of our lives, it's we who end up sabotaging our own families, our careers, our friendships, and our workplace environments. You know, a case in point, insensitivity to racially mixed families and workplaces. You know, that that can almost really creep up and poison your worldview without you even knowing it. They can subtly advance on your life and end up being not so subtle in the workplace. You think you've got it all together? Well, maybe so, maybe not. Stay with me and let's see if there's room for change. Joining me on today's episode of Just Around the Corner is Mr. Brian Yeager, the president of Barefoot Media Ministries, overseeing FM radio stations in five different communities. He's a leader in the national radio industry, a community leader, and most importantly, he's a husband and father. Brian, welcome to
1: the podcast. It is awesome to be with you, Dennis. It's always good to hang out with you.
0: You know, the theme of today's show is to examine how leaders can be sensitive to racial issues in the workplace. Now, it's not only a topic that needs to be examined in light of today's cultural conversations. It's a topic that should have been more thoroughly reviewed and embraced in response to the racial movements of the 1960s and 1970s. Brian, as a businessman and general manager and president, why has it been continuing to occur? And why is the unanswered question in today's society about racial reconciliation not been taken care of at least Not up to now.
1: Uh, You're asking the wrong guy. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm the white guy in my 40s who's trying to figure this thing out. I come to it with a unique perspective because I have a biracial family. um, And so I see this through a, a, a very unique lens. And I think that there's a lot of it that it's just incredibly uncomfortable. Like, as soon as you said, like, we're gonna talk about like racial issues, like, I'm almost uncomfortable right here, you know, and I go home to a family that is multicultural. It's just uncomfortable, because anytime you're gonna bring it up, you start to feel like, okay, someone's telling me that I'm wrong. Someone's telling me that I'm not right. Um, We start to feel like, I think that it's become so polarized that you're afraid. I don't know how to say anything without offending somebody. I feel like if I say something, I'm going to offend somebody in this process. I have that fear. You do, and you live in a biracial family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And and I think part of that, I mean, it all goes back to this, this reticence. Like we had the civil rights movement, but we didn't go all the way. We didn't finish the work. We got the pain alleviated. You talk about this all the time, Dennis, the, the pain factor and how pain brings change. We alleviated the pain enough. We gave equal rights in voting. But we didn't go through and go, how do we truly reconcile what's happened in the past and how do we own it without beating ourselves down, but move forward?" You talk about there's a difference between saying, "Hey, I'm sorry um." you know, sorry, I kicked you in the shin. Bummer. And going, Dennis, I'm sorry that you're in pain. Will you forgive me? And that's never really happened in the races. America has this horrible racial legacy. And as soon as I say that, because we're so polarized right now, everybody sticks their back up and goes, well, don't tell me that I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, whatever. And we lock ourselves because we have this fear that somehow entering into this, someone's going to say I'm wrong. We use words in the racial world like um, white privilege, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if if you ask an average Idahoan (laughs) <laughs> Which is where we are right now, uh, a very conservative state politically, very family value oriented place, and not a lot of diversity here. What white privilege means. And you ask my family, you ask some of our friends what white privilege means. Totally different thing. What totally. would your family say? Yeah. What do your friends say? Uh, here's, here's, a, here's a great story. Okay. Uh, Bill Hybels tells this story, and I know there's some issues with Bill Hybels, and I'm not condoning him, but this story is powerful. He talks, tells a story of a man who's sitting at some convention. He's at you know, round tables, whatever, and the guy looks at him and says, I love your books. And, and the guy's obviously Middle Eastern descent. And so a little bit later, the guy comes over, introduces himself, and he ends up telling him this story. He says, um, I was a Muslim in, I think it was New York City, businessman, and I would be required to go to these networking conferences, you know, these networking events. And I hated it because there's nobody like me. So I'd come in late and I'd leave early. And it wasn't until somebody walked across the room and said to me, hey, my name is Joe, whatever, what's your name? And looked at me and said, you know, I'm really curious. I don't know anything about Islam. Could we do a cup of coffee sometime? I just love to hear your story, right? That became started a journey that ended with that man's conversion, by the way, if you're into Jesus stuff and that's a big deal to you, like that was his conversion The point is, though, in this context, that someone went across the room and befriended him. That man, when you walk into a place, when you walk into whatever business event, you're going to walk in and you will naturally gravitate, Dennis towards somebody who's probably 45 to 75 or 80 years old, because it's the natural swing of how old you are.
0: Which end of that spectrum do you think I would move towards?
1: At that age? 90, but I wasn't (laughs) going to say it out loud. That's just wrong.
0: (laughs) I think that's youth privilege speaking.
1: (laughs) Thank you for calling me a youth. That makes me feel so good right now. Because we're naturally, this isn't bad. This isn't evil. This is we're naturally attracted to things that we're like. Right. So on a very basic level, white privilege to a minority, and this is such a shallow understanding of it. Please, honey, if you're listening to me, like, and you're a person of color, you're going like, you don't know half of it. I know I'm going very similar Is that when you're a minority, You don't have as many opportunities to connect and to get into the groups that are going to advance you in your life. Now, again, I hear, I raised myself up by my bootstrap. My parents didn't have a college education. Yes, but when you walked into that room, you had an identifying characteristic that said, that person's like me, because if you walk into a room and there's somebody of your ethnicity and someone's somebody else's, you will naturally, unless you're intentional, you'll go to the person that's like you. You'll go to the same age. You'll go, again, something similar dressed than you, whatever. If you're in shorts and t-shirt, you're hanging with the shorts and t-shirt crowd. If you're in the three-piece suit, you're going to the three-piece suit cut. So very simply, white privilege means um, I have this privilege because we're the majority. We're already in the positions of power. I'm a president of a media company. I go to conventions about, about radio and there's a lot of other white people. Right, So I'm going to naturally, without thinking about it, unless I'm intentional, I'm going to connect, network, and mentor other people like me.
0: Now, let's bring it back to your family. (laughs) How, in a biracial family, have you helped your daughters, helped your wife, walk through the idea of them walking in for their career paths, for the things of education that they want, so that they can walk in and look around and look for either people of color Or people of, like, interests.
1: The crazy thing about this, like, life is a journey for all of us, and I haven't done it perfectly, and I haven't done it well, and we live in a very, very uh, non-diverse state.
0: It's it's 50,000 shades of white.
1: Right, right. It's tan, tan, and white. I mean, that's it. There's nothing. Um, So that has not been something—I mean, I've evolved in my own understanding of this um, over time— uh, to, un- to, to even be aware, really, because I'm just like, we're oh, all people, it doesn't matter, I don't care, right? Because it doesn't matter to me, I'm a white guy, I'm a fish, I don't even feel the water, right? So it has been an evolution, but what I want to instill in my children is the sensitivity that their reality is not the same as others, and that they feel comfortable talking to anyone, um, and then giving them the educational opportunities so they can walk into any platform they want to and be successful. And they can connect with anyone. And it comes with a humility of saying, okay, my reality is in all realities and I need to connect into that and listen.
0: Once you've started doing that as they were growing up, um, how did that then translate into your work as president of a media company with people of diverse backgrounds?
1: Um and again, the big, huge disclaimer, it's just so little diversity in Idaho. Um, I think I was, we had a director's repeat, uh, retreat today, an off-site, uh, last two days. Powerful, powerful time. And one of the things that we talked about and I encouraged, because we were wrestling with some of this stuff, Just, and we were talking more generational, but the same truths apply, is we have to slow down and we have to listen. We have to create environments of listening. So at one point I had a very, very wise coach. Um, I still work with a wise coach and he's sitting across from me right now. And one of the things that this coach taught me, and I don't know that he ever said this to me blatantly, but it's the lesson that I learned. If you're slow, I'm talking about Dennis. Um, I'm slow. That was me. That was you. Is that Brian, not everybody is like you. Okay. Okay. And, and he did this by using uh, a, a tool called DISC. It's personality profile. Um, and I suddenly realized, like, whoa, I'm a high I, high D. I love people. I love parties. And I like getting stuff done. But I view everything through that driven perspective and that, that a little chaotic, and I'm just going to wing it perspective. And realizing there's people who are much more structured and organized and all that. Like, I could have told you that 10 years ago. But I didn't know it in my soul. You,
0: you, had, you had to
1: experience it in your soul. Right. And so the problem is, is that we approach race in the workplace through the filter of our own experience. This is what I think of me. This is how I think everybody else's experiences is the same as me. And then when we get beyond that, we go into caricatures. My wife, again, she's biracial. Her dad is black, her mom was white. Um, she says that, that in the minds of the races, right, to white people, and this is caricature extreme, all black people have got gold chains, gold grill on their teeth, are rappers with their, you know, honeys and whatever, and language I'm not going to use here, and that's that. And to black people, white people are back alley banjo playing, slept with their sister, a little bit scary, um, rednecks that are trying to, you know, lynch me, right? Right. B- And so we have to knock down that preconceived stereotype that we all get. Look at how media historically has portrayed black people. They're the entertainer, they're the the funny person, they're the punchline, but they're not serious, right? So we build these characters. So in leadership, to go back to your question, to remove those stereotypes and that impression of my reality is the same as others. And so I slow down and I engage and I listen. I engage in true relationships. That's transformative.
0: When you do that, you're inspiring and you're giving resources to leaders. How do they respond to you knowing uh, people of color that are on your staff? Um, How do they respond to you as a white guy (laughs) who's married to a biracial wife with biracial children?
1: So this was really fun. A uh, few weeks back, I was in another state, another city, helping another radio station raise money. It's one of the, the things that I do. And uh, one of the uh, air talent was a Black woman. And so there's me, there's her, and there's a, another white guy about my age running the technical end of the of the radio station while we're on raising money. During the songs, between pitches, whatever you know, we're having rambling conversations, getting to know each other, and we started talking about some racial stuff. And she's kind of looking at me a little bit funny about some of the things that I'm saying. Then my wife walks in the room, and we went out afterwards to grab some food, whatever. She's like, "Yeah." I was like, "What is with this white guy? He's saying some really like on point stuff." Then you walked in, and I'm like, "Oh, that makes more sense." Okay, I see his wife. It makes a little <laughs> more sense now. now.
0: Now you've also had the experience. Of being with your wife and another mixed uh, right, biracial right. Uh, couple. Walk us through that because I, I mean, when you told me this so how oh, many months ago, I just started laughing okay, so it's great. because it was embarrassing in one sense for the waiter who walked up to you at this restaurant.
1: Yeah, so it, this, this happened a couple times. times. Um, used to be a guy, Jerry Woods, uh, on the morning show on KTSY, which is our, our, our heritage station. And uh, he's a black guy. He's actually biracial as well. His uh, dad was African-American. His mom was Thai. And um, so his wife is a white woman. And so we learned early on, we had to be careful how we sat and how we stood because people would automatically assume that Crystal and I were married his wife, his white Michelle, wife Michelle my biracial wife, they thought was married to Jerry, and they would immediately start to interact with us in that way. And it was super, super. Awkward and uncomfortable, <laughs> I right? Guess so Yeah. On the other hand, my wife has used it to her advantage because I think it was Crystal was in the hospital. I think when she was giving birth, and Michelle was trying to get into the room, and of course the hospital's, you know, giving fits, and she's like, I'm his brother. I'm his sister. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. And they let her in. <laughs> it's Idaho. There's not that many black people. Obviously, they're all related. So send them all in. They're in together. The flip side of this is as funny as that is, and you know, like we all laughed about it. It's like, oh man, no, I'm not married to her. No, I'm not married to her. She's great, but no. Is the inverse of that of my children. Explain. So I've got four daughters. My oldest, um, skin tone wise, is the darkest. Um, She looks African-American. My second oldest uh, could pass for a multitude of ethnicities, Hispanic-ish. Then my final two are, uh, the first two were, so little context, my wife was married before we got married, had the two children. He was also biracial. so then, um, my wife and I have had two biologically of our own, and so we just keep saying if we had like one or two more, the, they, they would be transparent. Uh, <laughs> the other joke when you see my kids lined up from dark, lighter, 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 is you know the toner's just running out of or the printer's running out of toner, um, you know, all of that kind of thing is going on.
0: But, but I by know- the way, by the way, I just want you to know, I love your humor. <laughs> you know, so many things when it comes to race uh, ends up being. I'm uptight, man. I can't talk about it. I'm a white guy. Okay, I'm shutting my mouth. I'm shutting my mouth. You're a white guy in a biracial family, and you bring up humor that allows me as a white guy to enter into the laugh with you. That's a wonderful gift.
1: So my daughter goes to college. My oldest daughter goes to college. And I go to visit her. I don't remember why I was there. If I I don't remember if I'd just gone to see her, if I was traveling through or what. But I'm, I'm, her and I are together. Mom's not there. Sisters aren't there. It is me and her. And so we go out to Thai or Chinese. We love Asian food. And so she and I go together. And I noticed that my daughter very intentionally introduced me to the waitstaff as, hey, yeah, this is my dad. And to me, I'm like, I don't care. Let them think what they want. Yeah. But for her, being a young, dark-skinned girl, was hyper-aware th- that, that the look that she would get was what is this young woman doing with this older white man and immediately assuming something untoward. A, a, an issue that my daughter, my younger daughter is 15 and 12, Never, never crossed their mind, and probably never will. But that's just a look into the awareness that she has—that I'm in a world that's not quite the same as me. You know, uh, that
0: brings to mind uh, this the situation that I had a number of years ago. There was a there was a black business coach, and he was speaking at a Christian businessman's event, um, and and he said in the middle of his uh, prepared comments that. Sunday mornings are the most segregated day of the week. And I sat there, and I was like, wait, wait, what? And he said, well, as different races, head off to different churches. He did it with almost a serrated edge in his voice. Um, It wasn't like, uh, let's get together. But it was like, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. And, And I thought to myself, I'm not so certain he's accurate. Is this another example of my being white and being a bit blinded by what his experience is as a black
1: guy? 100%. Okay, talk to me. <laughs> um, and this is so multifaceted, right? You can't just jump in and see this picture or this, this assumption. But we know it here in the Treasure Valley. There's a couple of churches that are the black churches. If you want to hear some great gospel music, go visit the black church, Right. That's just the reality of it. Now, why is that? Well, there's a billion reasons and that's why it's so multi-layered and why it's so difficult to unpack. One, we talked about, we want to be with people who are like us. Well, white people's expression of worship is very different than a black person's expression of worship. It just is.
0: For those that have not gone to a black church, mm-hmm. what are you talking about?
1: Um Traditionally, black services I love, I love preaching in black services, because your audience is with you, they're talking back. If they say, "Shut up, it's not a bad thing." That means you're, <laughs> that means you're in the pocket, right? Um, they're the they're pocket. responding to you. Um, the music is loud. the music is stru- sounds very different to what we're used to, whether you're in a traditional or contemporary church in white culture. It's different in a lot of ways. They're very emotive. Uh, they're not nearly as restrained a, tra- tradi- a typical gospel church black gospel church, not restrained in their emotions like we as white people like we must be reverent and calm here in church. don't get too, if I have a tear, two tears is okay, three might be over the line. Um, <laughs> you know all of that it, it, it's much more expressive. So first of all, You have this issue of, you've got this diversity. Now, if you're a faith person or you're a business leader, you're like, well, we need all this diversity in one place. Okay. But then who's going to give up what? Because that means that I have to change what I'm comfortable with in my worship or my job, if you're going to go on the career side, to let this person express what's native to them, what's comfortable to them. Right? Okay. Right.
0: And in the giving up, what happens?
1: I'm not getting what I'm comfortable with because now something's going on that I'm, now I'm gonna learn from it, I'm gonna grow from it, it's gonna be richer, but it's gonna be uncomfortable. In the same way, right, there's the issue of leadership and finances. Now, again, remember how we talked about how naturally, I as a white guy, I'm gonna probably hire white people without thinking about it, unknown biased in my head. Same thing in church. So now we've created a cap on black leadership, without even knowing it, without even thinking about it. My denomination I've been a part of, and I'm, I think this is a travesty, we have, we, we're divided up and all the, all the hierarchy is just fabulous, I'm not going to go into it. We're divided up into local conferences, they're kind of like a state size, right? And that's the regional area of oversight. Uh, especially out east and down in the south, there are black conferences, these are groups of churches that are predominantly African-American, and the reason is why. Well, in, unfortunately, in the growing history of the church, back a while back, they start to face these issues, and they go, well, we need to serve the black community, and the black community is not being represented in white culture, so they, it's kind of going from both sides of going, we need to be able to be separate so that we can do our thing and you can do your thing. It's been challenged where white people will be like, and white leaders are like, we need to unite these conferences, okay? We need to bring these together. Here's the reaction from the black conference, and I do not fault them for this, don't get judgy. They look and say, okay, so which one of you is gonna resign and lose your job?
0: Tell me about your own workforce environment. Uh, What tools have you incorporated to really help people with different races in your company?
1: I think that, well, okay. Again, uh, at times, so in in radio, uh, we're actually required to file paperwork with the FCC uh, or have it on file that they can inspect uh, that shows that we're intentionally reaching out so that we can hire minorities and other things like that. It's very difficult in the world that I live in because uh, there's not a lot of minorities anywhere near here. <laughs> um, so I think I want to I macro back a little bit from that to the principles that are going to help you in that environment of trying to build connectivity are the same that you're gonna have as an effective leader. Now in the radio world, uh, there's been a lot of chatter and conversation recently about toxic work environments. One of the things that I see that's consistent in toxic work environment is there's no feedback loop. There's no accountability for the leader and a leader sets a tone for the entire organization. Uh, my team right now, we're, going, we're doing some, some evaluation um, by my directors of our organization. And it's funny, you can look at the graph and it matches a lot of my personality and what my strengths are. We're really strong in some areas. Look at that processes, little weak in that area. Hmm, wonder why. Brian likes big picture and all that kind of stuff. So what we've done is we've created a feedback loop where every year we evaluate the organization by using an outside source, in this case, Dennis, who does an evaluation with the staff to get the things that they might not be comfortable saying to us in our weekly and regular meetings that we're having with their direct report, with their direct supervisor, with me, what have you. If you don't create a feedback loop uh, where you can hear something beyond your own perspective, you're shooting in the dark and you're hurting yourself. And in the issue of race, it is so polarized that you may, well, let's give the black people a chance to talk. Right. Let's get together. And then you have this like office esque scenario from the TV show, you know, (laughs) where we're going to have diversity day and we're going to try to put, okay, now you speak for the black person, you speak for the, this, you speak for the, that you speak for the Asian, whatever. And you're suddenly creating this even worse situation where now race feels like a divisive thing and it's awkward. And the, and that person, the minority feels off or the person of color feels for whatever. So a powerful thing to do is simply, and this can be for anything, female in your workforce, whatever, is have those conversations of, first of all, create space where it's okay to talk back. In other words, sometimes if you look at somebody and say, hey, what's it like to work for me? Yeah. That's terrifying. Who wants to tell the boss they stink? Uh, <laughs> it's just wonderful. I mean, this is really a literal thing. Okay. I have this so gross. Um. I have a small dairy allergy. Okay. And so I have post nasal drip. Okay. That means that mucus is going down the back of my throat on a fairly regular basis. Why
0: don't you say that again? That was really an appealing statement. Right. I want
1: to go into this deep. Okay. It's going to be fun. We're going to have fun together. Stay with me. I, en- oh, anyway, I have a painful, I have a rash. <laughs> it's pussy. It's okay. No, I guess what it does is it, it gives me bad breath. I remember when I was doing touring youth ministry, there were times that there were little comments made by my team, and I never understood why. Care for a breath, man? Because I didn't know I had bad breath. It wasn't after I, until I got married and my wife was like, you know, in this thing, and we're locked in. She's like, honey, sometimes your breath is really bad. I'm like, what? You know? I'm like, are you serious? So now, if you see me, you'll notice sometimes I carry on a little listering spray in my pocket, and I'll spray my mouth because uh, I'm a little more heightened. But there's times my wife's like, "Hey, honey, you got your uh, spray with you?" I'm like, uh, okay, uh, I'm gent- offensive. A gentle wifey in right. So just because you say what's it like doesn't mean they're going to ask you. So create an environment where you say, "Hey, if there's ever anything that feels uncomfortable, I want you to come and talk to me." Right, right, and that's Great planting to- a seed coming back another time, hey, you know what, sometimes we don't, I, I'm not sure how things are going to fly. I just, I need your ears and please be willing to talk to me. That way before you're even asking a question is so powerful because you're, you're leading and creating an environment that they can speak to you, right? So you're building that environment already. Secondly, bring in other people and tell them, look, I need to know how people of color, uh, how minorities are feeling in my business. I want that to be one of the questions. Otherwise, you're shooting in the dark, and all of us as leaders we're a little bit narcissistic. we think we're awesome. Let me ask you, here we are thinking
0: we're awesome. here we are thinking we're teaching, we're like and yet the the media itself that you're a part of, both main, mainstream media and alt media and especially when it comes to examining the rift between races, will seem to always go with. Uh, the caricature of the person who is insensitive, who's white, as a kind of guy, you know, playing the banjo and "Uh, these people ain't like me. And yet in reality, I I always, I I think, I don't know anybody that's like that. I mean, I'm sure there are, but, but when that's raised up as, well, that's what you white people are like. It offends me. (laughs) You know, granted, I'm sure I have a cousin like that, but not me. Uh, How how do those of us who, when we're watching the media and we're put in a bad light, uh, while if you've noticed in the last year, year and a half, that there are far more people of color who are uh, in A-list positions on television and so forth because the pendulum has moved in a way that says these are really good actors. They should be playing this role because they're acting. And oh, by the way, they're they're people of color. They uh, one of the biggest discussions that I've had with with uh, business owners is that they are struggling with what the media is telling us that you know uh, forget about the task, uh, get the uh, get the person of color up there so that we can see them, and and forget about the task and the skill level. Get the white person off to the side and you know silently ditch them. Uh, I know that they're not saying that, but that's how many business people are starting to feel. Uh, My guess is that the competent person of color who has been put in this position would feel terrible if they thought that they were only put there because they were a person of color. I mean, you live in a biracial family. What do your girls think when they uh, see the uh, caricatures on, of the white people and the caricatures of let's move all the black people up until the top, top position because they're black. Whew. I know it's a okay, tough well, one. Well,
1: you, you, got, there's about four strands in there that we, that we need to, we need, you tie them together, but I'm going to untie them up separately. Fire. Okay. First of all, we got the media, um, media, the news media, which is really what we're often talking about when we say media. Um, The news media, their business is to sell advertising. That's it. That's it. Okay. It's not to report the news. It's to sell advertising. They know that if they demonize somebody, if they create fear of something, that you're subconscious and your primitive brain system responds and you will watch more because you need to make sure that you're in control and you know what's going on and this fear trigger activates and that's right and left media okay let's not call it mainstream Absolutely media anymore agree. it's right and right left and media. left it's both sides of the equation okay so they both are playing the caricatures so let's establish that first the problem with the caricature is, is that it lets you and me as middle-aged white guys get off scot-free because we go, well, that's not me. But what it, but then what it does is it blinds us to the racism around us. And, and, and I'm going to use this term, but I'm using it carefully. Sometimes racism masquerades as ignorance, and sometimes ignorance masquerades as racism. Okay? And so... It, and, I, and I, I know the pushback from people like me going, look, I'm just trying to live my life. I, I, I'm not responsible for the entire world, and I can't be. But if we don't open our eyes and listen to some podcasts or read some books about the black experience, then we're intentionally blinding ourselves to the issue and we're perpetrating issues. The racism around us is so much more deep because it's sometimes based in ignorance. So let me give you a couple examples for that, right? We do a concert. We have a black rap artist. One of our stations is a positive pop hip-hop station. The guy jumps in the pool at the end of it. It's at the end of a wave pool. It's a crazy concert. Comes to the other side, doing autographs. This little girl comes up to him and says, can I touch your hair? Okay. When's the last time that you've ever had anybody come up to you and say, can I touch your hair? Other than your barber and your wife, and she doesn't that's ask. That's a
0: great question. Right. I, can, I honestly can't remember. Right.
1: What's the message that that's giving to someone? Now, he's an adult. She's a child. He was very kind and said, honey, that's not something we ask. Right. But in a peer situation, what is that saying? Your body doesn't even completely, it's an oddity that I get to be amused at that I get to question because it's strange. Now, we all do it. It's something different. But in a, in a, in a minority-majority dynamic, that starts to feel like, is this person trying to possess me? What's going on? And you go oh, into the whole history of black culture and how they've been used. You're not just fighting the battle of the moment. You're fighting the battle of all the messages that have been brought to you up to that point. So there's ignorance. My daughter in school, having the kids all turn the lights out and say, now smile. Right? They're stupid kids, right? Do I call them racist? I think they're ignorant. But how, do my fa- how does my family experience it? As racism. Yeah. Is it both? Yes, it is, really in its own way. So the racism is sometimes closer to us than we admit. And we put up that defensive, I'm not racist because it gets uncomfortable. So I, I, again, we got several yarns here, okay? So now going into that, how are we hiring people, right? I think the question. Well,
0: well, actually, I'd like you to uh, talk about that, and also parallel it with uh, the cliffhanger we left from the last section, which is what was the question that they asked you?
1: Who's gonna Who's gonna quit their job?
0: Who's gonna quit your job?
1: So, in the hiring capacity. The obvious answer seems to be, well, obviously, we want the person who's most qualified in that position. And I want the pride of being the most qualified if I'm a minority, a majority, whatever, that I won that job fair and square. But that's looking at the fruit, not the root. Okay. Right. If you're a gardener and you see a problem on the tree or the plant, you go, what's wrong with the whole system? Because that leaf that's dead is a reflection of something that's going down probably all the way into the roots. We attack the leaf. Let's go to the root. And what's the root of how are we bringing people into the organization? What opportunities are? What's our culture? Is it inviting to people of color? Are we giving them freedom to be themselves and to bring the diversity that they have? That's not saying you got to, I got to kowtow my whole thing and make it somehow accessible to all minor. no, but are we creating an environment where we are pulling people in and raising them up so that. The best person for the job will get the job in the end.
0: Uh, Brian Yeager is a media leader as a president of a media company. What what um, two or three key methods of mitigating you know the workforce insensitivity that's out there would you recommend a leaders and Businesses, both small and large.
1: Well, we talked about feedback loops uh, a, l- a couple minutes ago. Um, you've got to create methods of conversation. Um, you've got to have moments where you sit and talk. One of the guys that we've got on our team um, is, uh, uh, is a black guy um, that works with our, with our Project 88.7, our new station. And eye-opening for me, just sitting him sitting in my office and me t- just saying, okay, tell me your story. Tell me, what does this feel like? And is you know, last year, about a year ago, there were, was even more heightened racial tensions. And we had a couple of just really candid conversations. Dude, talk to me. Tell me your story. Um, if we shut up and listen, um, that is such a key component. And then if you see something, you've got to attack it. One of the stories that breaks my heart for my daughter, one of my daughter's, is she was in high school. And this was around the time of the Ferguson riots. And... They were talking about it in history class or government, something like that. And some kid, I truly believe that he's an idiot, okay? Like, <laughs> like he's an idiot. He's a kid that talks before he thinks. Gotcha. Kind of a jerk sometimes. But is he a world-class world class racist? I don't know. Don't have that judge. He B- says, but he does
0: qualify, apparently. But he does, he does qualify world in this class story. idiot. Yeah,
1: world-class idiot. All right, fill in the blank here. He says, you know, well, I, why don't we just have all the black people? Why don't we just move them all to Canada? okay, just stupid words coming out of his mouth. And maybe he's racist. Maybe he's trying to be a joke, you know, make a joke. And it's just not even thinking. I, my first introduction into race was when I was in first grade and we had one black girl in my school, my little Christian school. And we're sitting around uh, the desks before school starts. And in my mind, this is funny. Okay, I'm in first grade, so give me a lot of credit for my hammer. Um, and we had ivory soap at our house. It's white. And I'm like, oh, this girl? Yeah, she's black because her parents have black soap. And I'm thinking, I've got ivory, I'm white. Like, it's just funny. Like, I, I have no concept of the context that this is in. And so she's offended. She goes home, tells her mom. They call my parents. My dad's a pastor. So all hell's breaking loose. And I have no idea why. I don't understand why. Okay, because I'm an idiot. So I don't know what this kid is. But he says they send all these kids to, to, to Canada. He should know better. He's a high school student. But he's still unaware. The teacher stopped the class and called him out. Really? And shut it down. So you have to have the core values of who you are as an organization so deeply entrenched that they are you and you live and breathe them and one of those core values has to be something about how you're respecting, honoring, and caring for each other and so if somebody's stupid, you smack it. You stop it, and if it's a public offense, it's dealt with publicly. Well, I don't want to offend somebody. Offend the person who was stupid. They may be guileless, just ignorant. I don't care. To the minority, it's racist, because it's playing into all kinds of stories that you may not even be aware of. Shut it down in that moment. Do it publicly, gracefully, lovingly, but firmly. When I was pastoring and planted a church, different scenario, but the same kind of thing. We had uh, a guy. He liked a girl. Story as old as time. Girl didn't like Guy. Story as old as time. He was doing some... Oh, her mom... No, another mom was organizing an event, going to have a bunch of young people over. A friend of the girl that he liked, stay with this love weird thing going on, tells her, oh, he's creepy. Yeah. Okay? So the mom comes to me and is like, is it okay that I invited him? Like, I don't... If he's weird, if there's something going on, I don't want to expose my daughter to that. Right. And I'm like, how did you hear that? And this is a young man I had mentored. I knew him. He was taking leadership and responsibility, whatever. So she tells me, "Uh, well, so-and-so said. And I addressed I said, look, what's the story? Well, so-and-so said that he was like, you know, wouldn't take no, kept asking her out or whatever. I'm like, okay. He wasn't inappropriate. He was persistent. He wasn't inappropriate. Please understand. He wasn't a stalker. I said, look, you don't know that story. It's not yours to tell. That's right. That's gossip. And we don't do that.
0: And you shut it down right and at that point.
1: And here's the thing. She never came back to church. The gossiper quit coming to church. Really? And I, <laughs> if there's pastors listening, it's my rank you. I don't care because i would rather have the gossiper out where the others feel protected than let that cancer spoil build and spoil and kill so in your environment you have to feedback loop listen to the stories and then deal with it directly so that those people know it's okay. And then have those conversations. Because I come from this weird race situation, I've got a girl, she is a leader. She's in her young 20s and she's a leader doing a job that usually is a late 30s, 40 year old plus. You gotta be in the middle of your career before you have this job. She's training in and probably by the end of the year will be the person, I mean, she's a leader. She's a minority, okay? I've often had conversations with her going, okay, have I crossed a line with you? Now, she's very free about race. She jokes about race. She, but I keep having touch bases every so often with her where I'm going, are we okay? Am I crossing? And she knows my family. She knows my kids. She knows the story. She knows where I am. But I'm creating this thing to make sure I'm not crossing a line because sometimes we'll laugh when our heart is breaking.
0: That's exactly right.
1: And so if we don't have that culture of an honest communication, and if you don't have a culture of honest communication, then you're failing as a leader already, whether you're dealing with race issues or not. You're a dictator and a jerk.
0: You know, Brian, I mentioned at the start of this whole episode uh, that life can really be sometimes pretty hard. Speak to that leader who, who right now, who today, let's just say, it, is overwhelmed with stresses and strains that he or she have and that they're just not able to overcome in this area of insensitivity. They feel like everything they've done has failed and they don't get it because they're white. They don't get the black community. They don't have black friends. They don't have people of color, biracial or otherwise that are part of the life. You know, they may not be um, like you, a person of faith. But fundamentally, this is a heart issue. This is an issue of faith, the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. If that person is searching for an answer and heretofore cannot get it, has not gotten it, how do you help them as a pastor bridge the gap from unbelief to belief so that Jesus, who was not a white american
1: no unlike all the pictures
0: and like all the pictures but in some of them that are blonde uh, look at (laughs) surfer jesus so that so that they can start the process of their spirit being opened so that their mind can be open
1: there's this thing in the bible called repentance and that's coming to the end of who you are You know, you've heard it in recovery terminology, maybe hitting rock bottom, whatever. And what what repentance is, is saying, I don't have it anymore, and I'm turning to something else. If what you're doing isn't working, it's time to try something different. And that is something bigger and outside of yourself. In a business perspective, you need a coach, you need a consultant, you need somebody speaking in truth into your world that nobody else can speak. That's what Dennis has been for me. He hasn't asked me to do this commercial, but I will. On the spiritual side and the heart side, maybe the issue is how your family's relating to you. Maybe it's, it's um, the drivenness that you have that's destroying your heart and you're unavailable for any staff members or anyone. Maybe the fear of not succeeding is so strong that people are stepping stones to achieve your greatness rather than beautiful team members and partners and beings created in the image of God. And if, if any of that resonates with you, I want you to know this right now. This crazy story and you ask me to go pastor, so blame it on Dennis that I'm going here right now, okay? This is all Dennis's fault. There is no story, none, in the history of humanity, whether you count that to 6,000 years ago or millions of years ago. There is no story in the history of humanity that has unconditional love where a God comes down to us in our messed upness to pick us up to him. Everything, including false Christianity, fake, over-the-top, politicized, defunct, disgusting Christianity, is about me working harder to make myself good enough to be good enough. And you're on that track right now. You may not be in the face side, but you're working your tail off, in your job, running yourself dry. You've got nothing for your wife. You've got nothing for your kids. And you ain't laughed, really laughed, in a weeks or months or years the joy is gone because you're trying to make yourself good enough to be acceptable enough to be loved to be to have value to whatever and it's a pile of crap because god said you are so valuable john 316 used to be at ball games for God, so loved the, for God so loved the world that he gave his son so that you could have salvation. If anyone believed, they would not perish, the Bible says, but have everlasting life. Next verse is just as powerful. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God is not judging you going, your quarterly earnings aren't up high enough. Your metrics aren't, your staff is fragmented. I had seven, out of staff at 12, I had seven staff resign in one year. Talk about like, is something wrong? What was wrong with them, it wasn't me. Uh, I kid. Um, <laughs> all these things, these metrics, God says, "I have given you value. You don't have to strive it. So now you can work from strength. You can work from a position of belonging rather than a position of fear, which is always going to drive you. So my invitation to you, as the Bible says, is taste and see that the Lord is good, that He is the satisfaction that your soul longs for. And then let that permeate you as you experience love to start to breathe out into your family, into your work, into how you're dealing with races, all that kind of stuff. The deep theology of Jesus is so beautiful and answers so many of these issues that we have. But it starts with this story that, again, no other religion has. Everything else is me working up to God, me working hard to be good enough in whatever way. God comes down and says, I'm picking you because you're good enough, even though you're broken and messed up. You're good enough, and I love you. Your identity is now my kid. Now you get to walk from a position of strength because you're already my kid, and I adopted you, and it's unrevocable. It can't be turned away.
0: Brian Yeager, thank you for being on the show today. This has been an episode that uh, is life-changing. It's life-changing.
1: It's an honor to be with you. And um, whether you're a person of faith or not, whether you come from this from a Jesus perspective, which obviously I do or not, I want you to know that you are deeply loved. You have incredible talent. You have incredible ability. And even if this issue, you've somehow made it through this whole podcast, but you're pissed off by the whole thing, Whether you're a minority or not, I don't care, because I know I haven't gotten it all right. I know there's stuff people will comment and go, Brian, you're right, I don't have it all. But this I know, you are deeply loved. You're deeply cared about. And God's got amazing things that he's going to do in you. Let him do it. I'm Dennis Mansfield,
0: your host for Just Around the Corner. Thanks to Colin Mansfield, Michael Seals, and Ken Adams, for their production work on today's episode, and to Kevin Miller in the morning for his inspiration. And thank you for taking the time to join us on this episode and enjoy, really, what's next in your life. Because as John Hay, one of the world's most famous men in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, once wrote to a friend, all the best gifts are just around the corner.